Hello, friends, and welcome to the Midpacker Pod, brought to you by Free Trail with generous support from Vacation Races. I am your host, Troy Meadows, and I am stoked to bring you informative and relatable content from people just like you, everyday runners, pushing their boundaries and doing extraordinary things on and off the trails. With all of the UTMB festivities right around the corner, the stoke is super high to have this week's guest on the pod. Today, I am talking with dear friends Matt Glasser and Maureen Kane. To say that I am a little jealous of the life that they are currently living is an understatement. A year ago, Matt took a sabbatical from his job as a teacher in Berkeley, and together he and Maureen moved their family of four to a sleepy village outside of Chamonix, France, to explore the mountains and embed themselves into French mountain culture. We talk about some of the challenges of living abroad and some of the hoops that they have had to jump through while getting settled in. We also talk about the adjustments that have had to be made with their two boys, both middle school age, and what it has been like immersing them into French schools and French culture. We dive deep into their individual running goals. Matt is making his second attempt on the PTL, La Petite Trotte à Lyon, an off-piece route around Mont Blanc that goes on the entire UTMB week. Marine is taking her third crack at Tour, or Tour de Jantz. We hone into what being in the European mountains has meant to them while they prepare for their respective epic journeys, and I am super impressed with these two's ability in the mountains. We also talk about Matt betting on himself and starting his own coaching business, a move that ultimately allowed them the ability to make this amazing move to the French Alps. I am so impressed with these two and their ability to design a life worth living with their families in mind as they tackle big, audacious goals. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Matt and Maureen. Before we get to the show, I want to shout out our sponsors. A big thanks to our title sponsor, Vacation Races. Vacation Races hosts epic half marathon and ultra marathons that take place in national parks all over the country. Can you imagine running through stunning landscapes while pushing your limits in places like Zion, Yosemite, or Bryce Canyon? They also organize week-long running adventures around the world. We're talking about running in jaw-dropping locations and experiencing the thrill of exploration. From Alaska to, to Costa Rica, Croatia to Japan, they've got 11 different destinations lined up. For the super adventurous, there is even a super secret destination where you won't even know where you're going until you get to the airport. How crazy is that? They've got something for everyone. You don't have to worry about your pace. All you have to do is maintain a 20-minute mile. So as long as you keep moving with purpose, you're good to go. It's all about enjoying the journey and soaking in the incredible scenery. These trips feature daily 7 to 12K trail runs in the morning and then a ton of awesome activities in the afternoon. Think glacier treks, zip lining, whitewater rafting, wine tasting, falconry, historic tours, cooking classes, you name it. They've thought of everything to make sure that you have the time of your lives. Best of all, these adventures are all-inclusive. Yep, that means everything is covered. Hotels, in-destination transportation, meals, drinks, activities, and even some sweet swag. Vacation Races just released their full 2024 calendar and are offering a discount for Midpacker pod listeners. Use code FREETRAIL200 and get $200 off any global adventures trip that's not already sold out. Not ready to commit to a full-on global adventure? Don't worry. Use code FREETRAIL15 and you can get 15% off any half marathon or ultra marathon that isn't sold out. 
It's the perfect way to dip your toes into the vacation races experience. I'm super excited about this this partnership, and I hope you are too. Check out vacationraces.com for more information. Also, a big thanks to Free Trail. If you're not a Free Trail Pro member, you are missing out. I love the Free Trail community and have been a member from the beginning. We all love trail culture. High fives during single track flybys with strangers on your Saturday long run. That feeling of acceptance and community that you only get at a trail race. Most of you, I'd guess, to say keep coming back to trail races because the community around this amazing sport is second to none. With the Free Trail Pro subscription, you can have access to that community everywhere you go. You get access to the Free Trail Slack community, training plans, weekly office hours that feature special guests, and so much more. The other week, we had a Q&A with none other than David Roach. From training and gear questions to seeing and getting inspiration from, from the epic adventures and races that members are doing, the Free Trail community is the place to be. Start your free trial today at freetrail.com. After that, it's only $96 a year for a membership. If you were a fan of all the content that Free Trail is putting out, that's a small price to pay to support some of the best written, visual, and audio content in our sport. Hope to see you in the Free Trail Slack community. And when you introduce yourself, mention the Midpacker Pod. Well, friends, welcome uh, back to the Midpacker Podcast. Uh, I've got some good friends of mine, uh, Matt and Maureen. Um, Maureen, excuse me. Uh, and they have an amazing story to tell. I think I want to start off by saying, you know, I met these, I met these two while they were living in the Bay area. Um, uh, Matt and I were kind of longtime social media buddies and then finally ran into each other, uh, at canyons one year where he went on to have a great race, um, ran UTMB that same year. I suffered mightily toward the end of that race, but, uh, still got the job done. And then I remember, it was a couple months later, or was it maybe maybe six months later? I was going down to Michigan Bluff for a training run for um, this. It was states it, that year. It was states. That yeah. Same year. So okay, and then I was yeah. I was going down to Michigan Bluff for a training run. Um, I was like doing. I was still working on this Lost Coast project, and then um, you two happened to just be like literally parking your cars at the exact same time. We got to share some miles, and you were you were talking about this thing that you were going to do. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, you guys move to France, um, ultimately like relocating your entire family out there and, 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 and have been the envy of my social media feed ever since. Uh, but I want to <laughs> give you, you both the opportunity to introduce yourself. So um, Maureen, if you want to go first, um, and then Matt, you can follow, but who, who are you two wonderful individuals? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, well, I just want to add a tiny bit to that story of meeting at the trailhead for that training run that once. I think it was like 6 a.m. We were all like pulling up out of the cars. And my memory of it is that you pop, you're like, oh, can I come with you? And then you're like, but I got to pop into the porta potty real yes. quick. And you went into the porta potty and Matt and I kind of wandered down the road a bit. And you're like, hey, guys, do you have any wet wipes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The that's my we did. we did we hooked yeah, you up yeah well i appreciate <laughs> my bum appreciated that and honestly it wasn't the uh the 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 best porta potty either so um the wet wipes were definitely <laughs> needed so. <laughs> um so introduction my name is maureen um i am a native californian i grew up in Cal in southern california and kind of slowly migrated north um and 
gosh, I, like my, my, my day job and one of my passions is I'm a yoga teacher. Um, and I've just been dabbling and playing in this trail running thing for the last, I don't know, 10 ish years. Um, yeah, I think that's what I got oh, for awesome. you. Uh, my name's Matt and I am not a native Californian. Uh, I was born in Texas and then lived in New Jersey and then Kentucky and then came out to California in 98 to go to UC Berkeley and uh, met, met my beautiful wife eventually there, Maureen. Um, and yeah, I was, I was always an athlete and I kind of cycled through a bunch of sports, literally, uh, starting with, with cycling and mountain biking and then eventually rock climbing and then uh, some little bit of road running. And then I kind of moved to the trail at some point um, with a lot of backpacking thrown in there. We, we've done We've done a lot of uh, long distance walks all around the world, honestly. So that's in there too. But uh, I'm a high school science teacher. Um, I'm on sabbatical this year, hopefully next year too. <laughs> and uh, I'm a coach. I'm coaching uh, trail running athletes as well. So. Awesome. And then I guess, you know, how, how did you two meet? What, um, is, is there, is there a fun story behind that? There's a story there. Yeah. You want to go? No, go watch into it. So, oh, so this cool. was this was at Cal. We both went to went to University of California in Berkeley, and this was 2001. And I was living with this uh, wonderful guy named Egbert, uh, and a mutual friend of the two of ours. We were living in in Berkeley, um, right down the street from the Greek Troy. So it was I saw it was seeing some of the best live music of my life there, 2001. Oh, good year, uh, good, and, good, good uh, year too. Good vintage. Great year. Great year. And, uh, and I, I kind of heard that this, that this girl was going to come back from move back from India, uh, to Berkeley. And she showed up at our apartment one night on Bastille day, on Bastille day, July 14th. And, uh, you were going to crash in Egbert's room. Yeah. Egbert and I were like, we would all, we were like cuddle buddies and I was supposed to crash in his room for a bit. And after, after the night, he wouldn't let me stay in his room. He's like, Oh, you got to stay in Matt's room. Um, and I, I saw that was the Troy. I have to throw this in there. The second night of Trey Band at the Greek <laughs> that night, and I came home from the show, and uh, Egbert said, "Matt's got a couch in his room. You should probably you should probably crash over there." And uh, that I, stayed, was, I stayed for a while. <laughs> stayed for a while, <laughs> and uh, here we are. We we just celebrated our seventeenth wedding anniversary the other day. Uh, so. Well- Egbert was Egbert was right. He's our witness on our wedding certificate too. Oh, that's way. awesome! So we give him yeah, that's credit. awesome, and congratulations. <laughs> and uh, man, those are great. Those are great meeting stories. My my um, my wife and I have a very similar story. We just kind of met each other through mutual friends at a at a festival here in Asheville, where I live now. And uh, full circle, we moved back to Asheville. Oh gosh, eighteen years later. Um, but it was kind of one of those yeah. like I don't want to say love at first sights, but kind of love at first sight situation, you know. And I, I definitely love those love those stories. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, you guys' trail running journey has been pretty epic, and I love when I get a chance to to meet and interact with with couples that that both run and couples that both run at a. I would say a pretty similar caliber, right? Like you guys have the opportunity to train a lot together, to experience miles together. Um, you know, talk about what it's like to to have not only like your to have your best friend be your training partner. 
Yeah, yeah. it's a good question. We, I, it's not. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. It's not just. I mean, we've spent a good portion of our life together on a trail somewhere. Um, not just running. I mean, hiking and, and trekking too. I, I was literally thinking the other day, man, I have walked in mountains all around the world with this person. Um, and we towed our kids on a lot of these trails now too. <laughs> they're, they're part of the journey, um, running and otherwise. No, it's pretty sweet, honestly. I mean, Matt had some injuries in the last year and I was running more solo and it, it wasn't quite the same. It's um, It gives a huge boost to you know, making it funner, making it, you know, easier just to get out the door some days to have someone to do it with. And, uh, yeah, we, we complement each other. Well, I think in, <laughs> in, in life, um, and in running, I mean, I think that bleeds over to life. So, uh, yeah, I think we have, we have a different skill set that kind of matches together and, uh, it, it works. I mean, the, the best days in the mountains I've had are, are with yeah, her. That's, so that's, that's, that's awesome. Cool. And then, so you're, Man, correct me if I'm wrong, but your boys are like what eight and nine or nine and ten. Uh-huh. Am I- <laughs> dude, dude, ten, ten, almost eleven, and thirteen, okay. almost. Yeah, 14. I knew I knew they were young, but I didn't know how old they had become. It had been a couple of years for me to, since I've seen them. But um, were you guys both into running when they were when they were really young, or um, did the running come after they were already kind of uh, self actuating autonomous units and on the planet? I think it's different for both of us. I different from Matt. I did not grow up an athlete. Like I was the third of four children. I I think I did like, you know, two months of soccer in second grade and like a month of volleyball in high school. And like, (coughs) I never had probably the drive for sports, but also the, the family support for it in a way. Um, and so for me, I think, it was always just about being outside and it was less about like what I was doing outside. Um, and where am I going with this? What was the oh, question? Yeah, no, you're totally fine. <laughs> so just the balance yeah. between trying to raise two, two young children yeah. with both of you either running or being athletes, it, it sure. sounded like, sounds like, um, you might not necessarily have, have started your, your running journey when the kids were super young. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I like definitely dabbled in it before the kids were born. And then I like postpartum for both kids, I had no interest in running and I was not like a runner before. I still sometimes hesitate to call myself a runner, but it was, for me, it was, you were running much more when the kids were young and our family life just didn't support both of it. I really got into it more when the kids were, you know, capable of going to the bathroom by themselves and doing other other logistical things. Um, I, I, so right before we had kids, we, we, we were pretty deep into backpacking. Um, I mean, and climbing. I, I, and climbing. Yeah. We, we were climbing full time for a while, right before we had kids. And, uh, and I, we had, so we did, uh, Roper's Sierra high route, um, oh, one bucket, summer. Bucket list. Almost, sorry. Oh, sorry. That is a yes, bucket, so bucket list bucket. adventure. That's awesome. And we got it done through Tuolumne. And then we stopped at Tuolumne. And then we came back the next summer to do the last little stretch from Tuolumne to uh, Twin Lakes. And I remember our last night in the backcountry there, we somehow kind of knew that we were going to have try to have kids. And I, I remember we were, we were sitting at the lake and just kind of like, this is our last backpack together for a long time. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think the running was almost kind of in a response to like mourning the backpacking trips because I knew we, we wouldn't be able to do those right away. Although 
we jumped back into that very quickly, like about two years after Sage was born. Um, but kind of like you were saying, it, it, the, the, the running was like, oh, I can go out and, and cover a lot of distance in a single day and still kind of get some of that same feeling. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's tough when you love backpacking and you realize that life is getting in the way of best laid plans of being a dirtbag backpacker for, for the rest of your life, you know, and that's like you mentioned, that's kind of what drove me into doing a lot more trail running. And then ultimately, you know, getting into ultra running was just this whole like desire to cover ground and see beautiful, epic places, um, but still be home for dinner. Um, and maybe even lunch, depending on how early I decided to get up in the morning. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. We definitely, when the kids were little, I had a rule with Matt where like he could go out for a big day. He could go race all day. I didn't really care. But when he got home, he also like, he couldn't be like yeah. on the couch. Like yeah. he had to be home and he had to be on it. <laughs> it's very good training. I'd like mow the lawn, like yeah. fix the roof. I treated it like training for yeah, you. Totally. Was your well, I, I know from my own personal experience right now with uh, Logan's like 14, almost 15 months and yeah, man, there's like recovery doesn't really exist. You know, like you can go have a big day and you still have to come back and, you know, you've got this bundle. I mean, he's a Tasmanian devil right now, man. He's, he's, he's all, he's all things, a uh, little young boy. And, um, yeah, I mean, Marine to, to your, uh, to your point, you know, when I get home, my wife is like here, you know, it's, it's your turn. Yeah. I've, 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 I've been with him for six plus hours. It's, you know, you need to put in a shift and, it's definitely real, man. It's, it's, it's hard to bury yourself. I know for myself, it's hard, it's hard for me to bury myself now in my training. Cause I know like there's not going to recovery exists, but it's not the same kind of recovery. Like gone are the days where I can just like lay on the couch for <laughs> three hours after a long run and put my legs up. You know, I have to make sure I still have some energy at the end of the day. So. Yeah, sure. Oh, and I, and I think Mo. Mo downplays her. I mean, you know, Google pops up these like, remember this day pictures. And, you know, 2013, we were in Sham and we ran all through the mountains. And that was four years. Sage was four then. Right? Yeah. So. I think for me, for a lot of years, my training was we've always well, I've always been coming to this area in the French Alps. And so for a lot of years coming back with you, um, for me, it was like, Ooh, a month, you know, a month before we're going to France, I'm going to like start running and get in shape so I can run in the Alps. And it wasn't necessarily like year round running or training for anything specific, but I really started to love running here in the mountains. Um, yeah. Well, we're going to get into some of, um, both of, both of yours adventures in, in the Alps. And, and, uh, it's interesting because you both have like quite a muse, you know, at this point, I think each of you have a specific, uh, race more like an adventure. Um, it's hard to call them races yeah. that have kind of become, uh, a multi-year obsession for you two. And, um, I'm excited to kind of dive yeah. into it. Um, but I mean, maybe we'll do that right now. We can get into kind of the journey you guys are on. Um, maybe we can segue into the journey yeah. you guys are on and, and the move, you know, for anyone. It's all the same. Yeah, thing. exactly. And for anyone that's, <laughs> if you're listening to this, um, and you're not watching this on YouTube, man. Uh, so Mo and Matt are winning the background game for, for, for the YouTube version of the podcast. Um, hard to see, but they, there's just like picturesque, um, you know, French Alps in the background, uh, living in this sleepy little village, um, in, 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 up in, up in the high country in France. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess let's start with Matt and, and let's start with, with the PTL. It's, a uh, um, and Mo is going to, her French is way better than both of ours. So she's going to probably correct us, but it's a uh, la, la petite trotte. 
Uh, Leon, is that how you would say it? Well, not the drop the A, drop the uh, A. Leon. Just... Leon. You had more of an Italian yeah, accent. Yeah, that, that, that was great. Italian. Um, so, Matt, I mean, tell the for anyone that for for any of the listeners that don't know, um, you know, talk about the race. I know it's part of it's kind of it's it's part of but not part of the UTMB. It's part of but not part yeah. of UTMB. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think. You know, part of what drove me into running actually was uh, watching uh, uh, like a Timothy Olsen, I think it was Rory Bazio too, North Face uh, little YouTube commercial 10, 12 years ago about UTMB. And I and I knew the area a little bit because of Mo's family roots here. And and I my mind was just like, wait, what? You can you can run around Mont Blanc. So uh, that's kind of where my like UTMB journey began. And then in 2021, when I showed up to race UTMB, they have this giant map in the in the middle of Chamonix with all the courses on it, right? Because there's <clears throat> races that go off every day of the week and everything looks huge. And then you see this one loop on the map that literally goes around all the other races and that's PTL. And I remember looking at that map and being like, oh, I want to do that, <laughs> but I'm here to do UTMB. Um and yeah, and uh, it, it stuck in my mind um, and uh, also as a way to I, – I, I love these mountains. I mean we both love these mountains a lot. I, I love Mont Blanc and that's, that's – that's like sounds weird to say, um, but we moved our family here to like be closer to this mountain in many ways for, for, for many different reasons. So the idea of PTL is a week-long event. That circumnavigates uh, Mont Blanc just like UTMB, but it's uh, it's all off trail. Um, the the course is not marked. It's you you have to do your own self navigation. Uh, it's <clears throat> has very technical parts. Uh, it's it's not a running race by any means. It's not even classified as a race. Actually, they they call it a, a pedestrian event because um, the the finishes are not. Uh, ranked you either it's pass fail right? you either finish or you don't it's like an epic mountaineering yeah, adventure yeah. around mount blanc and they call it a pedestrian event but it's much more i mean i, I spent a good deal of the race last year trying to think like how would you explain this to somebody and it, it's really more of like a mountaineering orienteering endurance event than anything else um and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's done in teams right one of the big uh variables is that you're in teams of either two or three which uh, totally changes the whole, um, you know, concept of the race, the whole flavor of the race. So I went out with my partner, Sam from Berkeley, and it felt much more like a climbing partner than a running partner. I mean, uh, you know, you're obviously making a lot of very high level decisions in sketchy situations when you're tired. Um, and, and that's, it's much more of a, of a climbing or a mountaineering scenario there. Well, so. it's interesting too, because it sounds yeah. like it's bridging uh, like three different skill sets that you've kind of honed over, you know, say the last decade, decade and a half, you know, it's climbing, it's backpacking, it's, I'm sure there's definitely running and ultra running, but you know, you're kind of, how do you do it fast and light and how do you do it with a partner? Yeah. And, you know, like you mentioned, there's a dynamic there too, where like, eh, no one has their lows at the same time. It's just not really yeah. feasible. Right. So like, you know, you have to work with somebody and you have to kind of, you, you can't just drop your pacer in this situation, you know, like everyone you got, no. you, you have to finish together. <laughs> you have to make decisions together. Um, and there's definitely calculating stuff. I mean, I know it's, it's, it's a very technical race. Um, uh, and, 
Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I think last year there was a fatality during, during the event. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this really encapsulates a lot of what went out there. So that was on our, uh, first morning, I think out there. Right. So yeah, we had, we'd gone all through the night and, um, we had just, uh, we had, we had just come over the massif actually, we just crossed, crossed over the massif into, into Italy, fairly technical section, uh, a, a lot of rock fall, not, not incredibly technical, but a huge um, potential for rockfall. So, so we had helmets on, right? There's a lot of uh, mandatory helmet sections, and I was impressed in that all the teams uh, are, are all the teams know what they're doing out there, right? Which is which is a really good feeling. So everybody was being very delicate uh, as we climbed over the massif, so as to not dislodge anything on the teams below you. And we got up to the top, and it was just it's just beautiful. And texted Mo. And uh, we had gotten pinged on our GPS. Everybody has a, a satellite that we have to keep on and respond to. And the, and the race had pinged us that uh, they had a message to deliver and we had to, had to detour slightly off route to get this message. But we didn't know what it was. We thought it was weather maybe. Um, and so I texted Mo. She said, did you guys hear what happened? And I said, no. And she texted. She said, somebody died wow. last night. And... Uh, it hit us really hard, um, me and Sam, and, and we stopped, we sat down and, uh, we had a conversation. Um, are you good going on? You know, and, and, and what does this mean? And we both, uh, were able to come to the conclusion that we had to get home, right? We had to get off that race course that, um, safely that, that the race was not worth our lives. Uh, he has kids as well. And, and we both had to get back to our families, obviously. So, so we, 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 didn't make the pact because we already had it, but we renewed our pact there that if at any time one of us felt like we were in a, a unsafe uh, situation with potential of a fatality or a, a really bad injury, we had to say that. Like we, we had a safe word. I mean, we didn't actually have a safe word, <laughs> but we had to say that there. Um, and we decided to keep going, but it was, it was really heady and it shook us up for, for, for quite a while. And we were on some very technical terrain right after that as well. Um, and yet we had to really focus and decide that, that we were okay and we were safe and, and keep moving on. So, and that was day two, yeah. you know, <laughs> so like, <laughs> uh, and, and just so for the audience, I mean, kind of the nuts and bolts. So what give, give us some of the, the numbers for the race and then um, maybe ultimately, you know, how it played out for you last year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, no, I mean, numbers, it's, it's 300 kilometers, a 300 kilometer loop. I don't know what's got in miles. I don't know. I'm metric now. 140 ish. <laughs> no, no, it's more than that. It's 180, 180, 180 okay. miles. Um, and it's got a ton of vert. I mean, 25,000 meters of vert. I don't know. 80,000, 90,000 yeah. feet of vert. Um, the, the, the crux of it is honestly the navigation and the terrain. And it's, it's not the, it's not the macro navigation we both were, we were a very strong navigation team. In fact, teams were often following us, um, because they knew we would be good on nav, but it was the micro navigation, mm -hmm. you know, for example, one day we had to get up and over this Mont Ul in Italy and it was Talus as far as you could see. So, you know, we knew in general where we were going, but the tricky part was now you have to navigate through these Talus couloirs basically to get up and over this mountain and find a safe way through. So, you know, that's the, that's the crux of the race, I think is problem solving along the way like that. We only made it halfway, um, on, 
night three, uh, Sam was kind of slowing down quite a bit. We ended up taking a trail nap at about 2 a.m. <clears throat> and then he was already tired again by 5 a.m. And I was thinking, oh, this is not a good sign. So I said, okay, we'll, we'll sleep uh, until sunrise and we'll get up. And we were coming into Refugio Frazzati in Italy, which is a great refuge um, in the halfway point. We're about to go over Col Malatra, which is one of the, the higher coals. And uh, he went from looking bad to absolutely terrible. I was afraid for his life at, at the top of Malatra. He, he was coughing. He was wheezing. He had a fever. Um, so I, I propped him up on the coal and I said, five-minute nap. I'm going to get you up in five minutes and we got to go to the refuge. And we did that. Um, got him into the refuge. He said, I just need to sleep. Okay, we'll let you sleep for three hours. He, he woke up and he looked even worse. He said, I just need to eat. Okay, we'll go down and get a meal. Looked even worse. Long story short, he had COVID. Oh. Um, he had gotten COVID on the plane, we think. Um, and it, oh. uh, it came out rearing its yeah. full head uh, on, on morning four. And uh, I will say that once we were able to communicate everything properly, UTMB did a really good job of getting us out of there. They, they drove Eric drove a van in there um, to, to get us and, and drove us back to Sham because Sam couldn't walk. He, he went, he got really sick really yeah. fast. So. Yeah. I came and met them at that point and Matt was like, bring COVID tests because it might be COVID and gave Sam a COVID test. And, you know, like sometimes it's like, wait oh, 10 right. minutes and maybe there's it was a like, it was like, yeah. <laughs> Very oh, what a what a Very what positive. a man! What a terrible way! Because like in those situations, you know, you, you have something come on. Like it, it could have been anything. Like say, say you got a respiratory infection, and it just happened to be you know midway through the epic journey that you're on, and like. What are you going to do? Sometimes you can, sometimes you can push through that kind of thing. But if it's, if it's a very yeah. serious, um, illness or infection, <laughs> it's like, it's, I mean, it could be debilitating. It's similar to like, go, mean, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say that that was the blessing. Honestly, it was a very clear decision yeah. for us. And, and we have no regrets with the decision, obviously yeah, versus, you know, if you like push through an injury or something, sometimes that gets a little murky and complicated. So yeah, I know 100%. It kind of reminds me of like, when you're doing when you're doing like backpacking treks it's like you carry emodium with you intentionally and one of the biggest worries is like you know if you get giardia or you get some sort of waterborne illness and you're out there and all of a sudden it's like you're just you can't keep anything down you go from being like a very fit capable person to just being like extremely yeah. weak and not really able to to carry the load and, and move forward and it's a very similar situation that's uh I didn't. Re so I, I, yeah. I missed that memo somehow. I, I didn't, I didn't catch it. I knew you were dealing and battling with some, uh, with some, with some tendon issues in your foot. And I didn't know if maybe it just turned into, uh, yeah, no, that actually, that actually went okay. Yeah. It was, it was the co it was the COVID that got us, but you know, so I will say it was, it, I, I'm, I'm way into routes. I'm a map geek and I love planning off, off trail routes and, and cross country traverses. And this, this was the most aesthetic and beautiful huh. route I've ever been on. Um, and it changes every year. Uh, and they've, they've promised us this year, it's the 20th anniversary of UTMB. They, they promised us a, a special PTL route. So, uh, I'm both scared and excited at the same time. But, so, uh, so you yeah. and Sam are going to go back again and, and, and give it, give it your best college try. We're done. We're going back again. Yeah, we learned we learned a ton. Um, I obviously, been living here for a year really helps. Uh, you know, I'm pulling the Wamsley in that regard. Nice. So, uh, we'll see. You know, Sam and I will send PTL and Jim will win, and then we'll prove that this is this how you do it, right? Uh, but no, 
But yeah, we're going to give it a go again. I mean, it's it's such a big endeavor. It, there's no guarantee that it happens, but um, we're going to get as prepared as we can and show up. To the That's awesome. Line, so. Well, you heard it here first, po- folks. If uh, if Jim wins UTMB, <laughs> it's it's because because of Matt's dedication um, and and moving to France and and really um, putting the vibe out for him. So uh, exactly. no, that's awesome. Or, or all the ski- say that again. Sorry. Or all the okay. ski notes. Yeah, or all the ski <laughs> Lastly, I want to give a shout out to Run Trail Life. Are you looking for the perfect tee to wear after your long run? Want to represent your love of the trails off the trails? Then check out Run Trail Life, the casual apparel company that lets you show off your love of trail and ultra running while giving back to ensure that everyone has access to the beauty of nature for generations to come. RTLTs are 100% organic cotton or made from recycled water bottles. And $1 from every purchase is donated to Runners for Public Lands, a not-for-profit whose mission is to advance the development of diverse, high-quality trails and greenways for the benefit of people and communities. I am super passionate about this company because I am the founder and solo entrepreneur behind it. So if you love the content, consider supporting me directly with a purchase. And if you use code MidpackerPod, we will double the donation from your purchase to Runners for Public Lands. Visit RunTrailLife.com and live the Run Trail Life. What a great story. And I love that. I mean, I'm, you know, you, you kind of put the race on the map for me and I've looked at it and I'm kind of like, yeah, maybe one day possibly, but I also feel like, oh man, my skill, uh, my skill set is so rusty. It's been so long since I've done any of the the navigation stuff, which I feel like I could be strong at. It's really more the mountaineering stuff. I have like no experience. My, my, my experience is, is, you know, route finding on single track in the middle of the wilderness. So it's yeah. usually more established routes. So man. So yeah. And, and I think it helps. I, I, I imagine it would be really hard. People do it. It would be really hard to come in, you know, to the Massif for the first time and, and do a big loop out there. I, I think it really helps to kind of know some of the areas yeah. and be comfortable with some of the trails. Well, I'll have to start, I'll but, start uh, working on my own life design and see, you know, so, so you're saying if I can figure out how to get a time. year in, 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 in France, I could, uh, I could, I could hone some of those skills. So, uh, Come on over. Well, yeah, that's awesome, and uh, excited for excited for you and Sam to kind of get, give it, you know, give it another crack. And I know all too well nice. what it, you know. Sometimes you you have these goals, and you're like, I think I can do this, and then uh, the route or the adventure kind of smacks you in the face, and then you kind of have to reassess. And I imagine it was one of those situations where you guys are probably on the drive back down in the van from getting picked up. Oh, we, we got dogs in the house. Oh, you're good. We got our dogs. It's it's the it's the unintended consequences of of recording outside. So, um, yeah, exactly. We can we can move in if we need to. Yeah. Okay. It should be fine. It's okay. It's okay. People will have to deal. Um, but yeah, I imagine you guys were like in the van. Oh, hey, fur baby. I imagine you guys were like in the van on the way down going next year. You know, like it wasn't like I'm sure it didn't take very long. So Sam was actually. Sam was laying in the trunk of the van because he couldn't move from COVID. I was so car sick. I was throwing up in a in my gallon Ziploc snack uh-huh. bag. I took it took a few days before we were like, let's do it nice. again. <laughs> it was not in the van, Troy. I can uh, guarantee you. <laughs> well, for me in those situations, it's always been like literally the car. I'm like broken in the car ride home, going. So next year, twelve months to the date, we're coming <laughs> back, right? 
We were probably thinking it. We just couldn't yeah, you voice could, it. You couldn't actually time. articulate it in words. Um, so that's, I mean, that's yeah. awesome. And it's funny too, because I mean, not funny, but it's, it's interesting. Both of, you know, both you and Mo have this, um, the, your own separate European muse. And, uh, you know, we'll get into, into. We call it the UTMB tour alliance. We kind <laughs> nice. of joke about it, but uh, it, it works well. Like I, I picked the French side and she picked the Italian side and, you know, it makes it somewhat compatible. So. Well, yeah. And let's move on to, to, to Mo's adventure. I mean, I am infatuated with, uh, tour de Jantz. I, it's something I definitely want to do. I am trying to figure out how to make it work. Um, and I just love the tenacity, um, that you've had Mo over the years. And, you know, I, I want to just start from the very, very beginning. I mean, your first experience with this race, I was following along, I was messaging, I was just like, what is going on? I have to know. <laughs> um, but yeah, talk about, talk about tour and talk about the magic that is, um, this race and, and, and how it's captivated you over the years. Oh gosh, that's such a big you question. About how you got in it first. Yeah. So, I, you know, for, a little bit of backstory. Um, we had a dear friend, Lucas Huron, who ran tour twice successfully and the last time qualified to do tour de glacier, which is the even bigger 450 kilometer, um, loop around the Aosta Valley in Northern Italy. And he like, when he talked about tour, it was just like sparkles in his eyes. It was just like, when he talked pure... about anything. It was sparkles, but tour, <laughs> tour was like infinity sparkles. <laughs> yeah. It was really special. Um, and I was just always kind of like, ah, what is that thing? You know, just a little bit of intrigue. Um, and at the end of 2020, he tragically passed mm -hmm. away. And somehow that like, that, that sparkle and that magic that he felt towards tour just like, like clung on to me. And in the, well, it was really just a month after he passed, the lottery opened. I didn't even tell Matt. I'd never even run a 50K at this point. Like, I, you know, I was like dabbling in trail running for sure. Like, you know, I was like running in the Berkeley Hills, but I put my name into the lottery and I knew that it was always kind of a notoriously hard race to get into, but it had no qualifiers. And my name was pulled in mid-February and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um and we had no intention of going to Europe that summer. It just was not in the works at all. And you actually, that was the year you got pulled for UTMB. So we're both like, ah, we got this. And then like, she was like, I got pulled for tour. I was like, wait, I didn't know you were in tour. For sure. So all of a sudden, Lucas. yeah, all of a sudden our plans radically changed and we headed over for the summer. Um, but so, you know, it was a huge leap for me to, to hop into a tour type training. I'd never actually like trained for a race before. When I say I dabbled in for running, it was just like, Oh, I want to go on a run today. I'd never like systematically thought about training and building towards something. And so that was really my first experience doing that. And I launched into my first 50 mile race and then came over uh, early in the summer and ran a race that's put on by the same organization as Tour de Géant. It's called uh, Grand Trail Cormier. It's in Jan it's in July. It's an incredible race. Um, and I did the 100K. So that was, you know. Which is like a 25-hour 100K. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a it's super, super hard 100K. Yeah. Um, and those, you know, that was like my my lead up into tour. Um, uh, and where to go into tour? And then I got injured. Yeah, the six. So the before my my first go around at tour, the six weeks leading up to tour, I was injured. And I couldn't even mm -hmm. like 
drive to the grocery store and walk into the grocery store without pain. I mean, I was like literally not walking, not doing anything. And so that like doubt and uncertainty of, you know, do I even, can I even get to the start line? I had my sister and a friend coming over to crew me and it was, it was still like deep COVID year, you know? So I flew back home right after UTMB with the boys to, to go back to work. So she, we literally left her here, not knowing whether she was going to be able to start tour. Yeah. Um, and then like a week before the race was starting, uh, I called up a friend who'd run it a couple times and she's like uber positive. And she's like, you're, you're there. Like, just get to the start line. If you do the first 5k, who cares? You know, just like go out there. And that was kind of what I did. I really had no, in, in a way it was really magical because I had no expectations of how the race would go. I had no, like it, for me, it was never like finish. It was just like, I don't know, let's just go out and have a good time and see what happens. Um, and the fact that I nearly got around the loop on that first try was like, to me, you know, like I definitely DNF'd at the end of the race, but to me, I felt like a total winner. I was like, oh my God, you know, it just was like pure, pure champion energy. Um, but so that was just a little bit of background. And, and um, how far, did, and, and really quickly on your first, in your first trip, um, how far did you get? Uh, you know, technically the race, the race materials say that, that it's a 330 kilometer race. Most people say it's around 350. My watch at the point where I dropped said 330 kilometers. So I was, you know, so like you, 20 or 30 this, kilometers short. Yeah. Of so we're talking, we're, we're, we're talking 12 miles to go. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah. I mean, it just <laughs> but a really big 12 long yeah. miles, 12 long miles, <laughs> a really big mountain no, I mean, 12, um, 12 out of 200 and change. Like, let, you know, let's not get it twisted, but you know, bravo. Right. Um, and just for the audience, I remember yeah. seeing, I remember seeing video of, uh, of Mo walking, walking backwards because the, the quads and the knees and the shins just like, were not, they, they were not seasoned. Let's just say not seasoned properly. And that's what, that's what didn't hurt at the time to move forward. So, you know, lots of tenacity there. Yes. And the fact that you're able to go, gosh, whatever, 190 plus miles um, and and almost complete the loop on, on your first try and really jumping into the deep end. Right. I mean, we went you went from from 50 miler to 100K to 200 mile all in a year. Right. That's just mind, mind yeah. blowing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, you know, like I loved it, like being out there was just, I mean, the tour race has, I mean, it's such an incredible energy there. There's like literally like thousands (coughs) of volunteers all around this whole Valley that come out and everyone's kind of showing off their favorite food and music. And it feels like this just like festival, like you're just kind of like moving around and it's, it's just got this really, really fun, you know, hard, crazy, hard, race component, but then just like a really fun festival vibe to it, um, that, you know, propels the runners around the mountain. It's, or I guess around the valley, the the runners run around and then there's this circus that also moves up and down all the valleys with the runners. It's, it's crazy magical. And in contrast to like UTMB, which is running around a mountain, Tour de Géant goes around a valley and there's this huge Alista Valley with a river going down the middle and, the the race is named after these four giant peaks that are kind of like the cornerstones of where you're running around, but you're really just running around. I mean, they're on the outside of, of your path and that's um, Mont Blanc or Monte Bianco as it's called in Italy. 
and uh, Grand Paradiso, which is just like an incredible area, and uh, Monterosa, and then Matterhorn or Cervino, as, as it's called in Italy. Um, so you have these just like these four giant towering peaks around you, and it's I don't know, it's it's pretty it's pretty special. And and so um, you know, obviously one time was almost getting it done one time wasn't enough for you. Right. So like was it, it's the following year you, you then went back and, you know, talk about that experience. Yeah. Um, so I had, uh, well, I had an entry to get back in because, Oh, I don't know. Race entry stuff. Now there, if you complete their hundred K race, you're, you're kind of, you have a more, a more direct pathway into the lottery. So I had that. Um, and I, I still just like, you know, it's almost like an inexplicable pull. I just still felt it. Like I, and for me, it was like the moment I was off the course, I was already planning for next year. Like I had no doubt in my mind that I wanted to be back there. Um, and I learned like a tremendous <clears throat> amount, you know, I'd never done a multi-day before. So that first year I really just like everything was an experiment, everything was learning. And so going back into it, I felt like I had so many more resources. I had another year of running and training. Um, but it's interesting, you know, like in the month or so leading up to the actual second time around at tour, all the doubts started to creep in like, oh, maybe that was first time magic. Like maybe, <clears throat> you know, to try to replicate something that was almost so perfect the first time and, and go back to it. I was, I was worried about like tarnishing what was so special the first time. Um, and happily the moment I was back out on that trail, it was just like, for me, it was just bliss. It was, um, bliss and hard. I, I had this moment the second time around, there's the, the, the highest point on the col the course is Col Son, and it's about 3,300 meters. Um, and it's just this relentless climb and it was hot. And I mean, it's, it just doesn't end. It's like hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, and that was probably the first moment that second time around that I was like really questioning whether I could do this. And the, the analogy that popped to mind for me was childbirth where, you know, when I look back on childbirth, on giving birth to my two amazing sons, like it is all wonderful and beautiful and cushy and love and like people supporting me. And, and I can't remember the intensity and the pain and the, like all of the realness of it. And as I was climbing up to Colos on that time, that second time, I was like, all right, there's, there's more to it than magic. Like this is fucking yeah. hard. <laughs> um, and it's even now, you know, a year out, like I can't, I can't conjure up the hard parts. I just remember yeah. the, the beauty. And yeah, well, that's pretty, um, pretty, <laughs> pretty standard human thing to do is you always take away the yeah. good. That's how we yeah. If it didn't happen, we'd be yeah. sunk. <laughs> we wouldn't do anything if, if, if we always remembered the hard things, right? <laughs> I guess so. I certainly wouldn't, but yeah. And then, and then, um, but my second go around was, was, you crushed it. I, yeah, I did really, really well um, and had everything in it to, to finish. I was scheming my my entry back into Cormier and, you know, trying to time my my last coal with the sunrise and then cruising into Cormier in the early morning. Um, but unfortunately, a, a really uncharacteristic and 
intense blizzard and storm rolled in um, the the last night of the run, and they had to stop the race. Um, so we were like just just at the ref- same refuge that actually Matt yeah, stopped we, at. We both bailed at Frizzati. Yeah, Refugio Frizzati <laughs> in Italy, which is an incredible place. Um, the race got stopped there and we waited for like six, seven hours. And then finally they said, yeah. you know, race is done. You guys are finishers, but um, we can't let you go over the coal, which yeah, isn't yeah. enough for you. Well, yeah, well, so that's, that's why there's ground yeah, well, how, how So how clo- at that point, how close are you to, to the finish? Oh, gosh. Oh. I mean, it's just like you're almost up at the so top of the coal. Down. You go over the coal, yeah. and then you just, like, yeah. just come come down. So ever um, so slowly, inching, ever so slow, four hours, ever so slowly, inching inching your way, right at this point, right? Just the the aesthetic of like sure. completing the loop. It's like oh, uh, so um, so yeah, with with embarking on year three, I'm fully aware that like anything can happen. It's so long. It's so big, and yeah. Yeah, so, so you're we'll going see. back for year three, which is epic. And um, I'm super, super excited for you. Uh, talk about Amuse for sure. Um, really quickly before we kind of move on, and uh, I would love to know like what the logistics looks like when you're doing something like tour. I mean, obviously, um, you know, PLT as well, uh, Matt, we didn't really touch on that. But, you know, what does it look like when you're thinking about your logistics and what you're going to need for I mean, most people take six, seven days to finish it, right? Yeah. Um, the race, I mean, and this is the same with with tour and PTL. They give you like this tiny little duffel bag. Tiny. That, that's like your your life base bag. Um, so tour has, I think, six life bases sprinkled throughout the course, <clears throat> which are essentially like bigger aid mm-hmm. stations where you could sleep and shower and have medical attention and get a massage and... Um, and your duffel bag uh, is available at those places. Um, so plenty of people do the race just on their own and they're like digging out extra nutrition and change of clothes from that bag, like hats off to them. It would be so hard, I think like, and with the COVID now you have to like have a sleeping bag in there as well. So once you get a sleeping bag in this bag, there's just not, there's not a lot of room, um, but both years I've been incredibly crewed. The first year my sister and friend Jennifer were there. And then last year Matt crewed me and that, you know, changes everything. Yeah. Like I get something, the, the, you know, the food along six days is it's all the same. Sure. And it's amazing, but it's yeah. all the same. So to get, you know, a sprinkling of something new is. I, tr- I tried to meet her with a, a burger and a smoothie every time I could. So that, it worked the first time. So it's like, worked, keep yeah. it going. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of gear. We have it's, spreadsheets and spreadsheets. Yeah. And, and we dig into, I mean, you said a decade or decade and a half, you know, in 2004, right? We traversed the Himalayas, the Indian Himalayas, totally autonomous, just the two of us. Um, and so like, we've been doing like this kind of thing for a long time. And I think we can really dig into those strengths. Like we're good with gear. We're good with preparations. We have spreadsheets and spreadsheets. We know what works for us. Um, but like, you have to be able to lean into that with these multi-days, right? That's a big difference between a hundred miler and a multi-day, I think, um, is, is, is the gear and equipment, right? Well, I know, I think like, I just... I just finished a, a hundred miler a couple of weeks ago and, you know, yes, thanks. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, no crew. Say it again. Sorry. 
Oh the yeah, yeah, the, the buckle at Hellbender is legit. <laughs> so, um, you know, no crew, no pace. I remember talking to a friend and him being like, respect, you know. And I guess I'm kind of thinking like, man, you do a multi day. It's and and just like you said, like I my first hundred miler, my dad crewed me, <laughs> and it was like, it's just different, man. Like when you have someone there and 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 they've got things that you need, and and um, you know, I had a lot of support on the course. Um, ran with a mutual friend of ours, English Knowles for like the majority of the race. So like we had, you know, we kind of were able to support each other. Um, but yeah, it is a game changer. And I can only imagine what like a, a multi a logistics of a multi-day and not having crew. Yeah. Um, and then, well, then the gear list for PT, you know, I mean, we had crampons, helmet, uh, via Ferrata lanyard harness, you know, we had seven, eight kilos in our pack at any yeah. time. Um, because we don't see crew on that trip yeah. really. So like you, if you don't have it, you don't have it. And, and PTL has a lot less food options. Lot, along the we, way. Had a, we brought a lot of food because there's not food out on course because you're up in the mountains. Yeah. So. And that's interesting. I mean, yeah. it sounds like, you know, tour is obviously a longer, it's a longer event. Um, but it sounds like it's got a little bit more of a, of a supported vibe where, uh, PTL, it's much more yeah, supportive. PTL definitely feels yeah. like, you know, you can get into the refugee. There, there's definitely a handful of refugos that you can get into and do maybe some resupply, but it sounds like you kind of have to, you kind of, whatever you're carrying your back and what you're putting in your duffel bag. And how many times do you see your duffel bag on, on, on PTL? Twice. Twice. Cool. So, yeah. So you really have to, you really have to <laughs> have what you need, you know, no, no, no uh, multiple yep. opportunities to be like, yeah, I just want to switch this out for that, you know? No, yeah. no, exactly. Well, so and 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 Mo, you're going back again for the third time. So this is I'm excited. Um we'll have to, you know, we'll have to have you back on after um after after the next go around. After so. she sends it all the way back to Maybe portal. both <laughs> maybe both maybe both of you will have to do this again, um, depending on how how, how each of your events go. Um, you know, so yeah, I you know jealous. All I can say is I'm so jelly. I mean I'm like Sto- the stoke is so high for for both of you um to be doing these epic things and and to have kind of crafted a life right now and and to take kind of take the the matterhorn by the horns right just to kind of like grab it by the horns and 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 really dive in and and i'd love to talk about that i mean matt you mentioned that you're on a sabbatical from work um you know you guys moved your entire family you've got basically teenage boys, um, moved them, you know, to France. Uh, you know, I think, um, and I know you have a hard stop. I think we have enough time. So, uh, you know, I would love to talk about, you know, just that move and the difficulties in the beginning and how it feels now. Cause I mean, at this point, I think you guys are going on like what, 10 or 11 months of being there or yeah. Coming, we're almost a year. We're like three weeks away yeah. from a year. Yeah. So you know, talk talk to it. I mean, what was the, you know what 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 was the the say the deciding factor to say we are going to do this? And then um, you know maybe if there's any fun anecdotes that you can sprinkle in of like the things that you thought would be easy to do that were not easy oh, to do when when you guys first got here. So itself. when you first got over to France. So. Fun antidotes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you guys start with your family here. Right? Yeah. So, so my family <clears throat> has has roots here um, in the French Alps. My dad is French, and his parents, so my grandparents, um, met being like mountain scout leaders in the area, and that just kind of kept coming back to this this area. And after after the war, they my grandparents and my my dad and his brothers built a, a chalet up in 
like just just up valley from Chamonix, so near you know the hub of of trail running and Valencine, yeah. yeah. Um, and so when Sage, who's our older son, um, when he was well, basically since he was he was born, we've started coming here more consistently. Like every other summer, we'd come for a month or two, um, and every time that we've been here, we're like, next year's the year we're going to stay for a year. Like we got us. Mm-hmm. I just like we've just you know, these, these mountains have kind of wiggled their way into our hearts and we've only seen them in one season. And that, like that pull of wanting to see that transition to fall and then like winter, which is the whole thing that as a native Californian, like, I don't know, like winter is new and foreign to me. Um, and so, yeah, that for, for years and years, we were like, we just really wanted to make that happen. And then we almost pulled it off in, or we had been planning to pull it off in the year of 2020. And then we we're like about to sign on a contract for an apartment to rent up near Chamonix and COVID kind of was trickling in. And so we, we pulled the plug on that. And I think that was probably a good decision, although it would have been amazing to be Aww. here in the mountains when nobody was here. Um but yeah, so finally we just kind of. And I think it's funny. Plunge. So it's funny you took that side. Like yeah. I feel like you took like the mountain side. I'm going to take the French side. Go for it. Um, you know, I think the the French identity of of Mo's family has been really integral to our family since since our boys were born. Um, she did she did a ton of work when they were born to get to get our kids their French citizenship. Um, we were lucky enough with a, a lot of support from the financial support from the French government to be able to send our kids to a, a French school in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. Um, so since preschool, really kindergarten and preschool. So <clears throat> we also really, we, we, this was never like planned before we had kids, but we kind of like fell into this pathway of like, Oh, we want to try to raise our kids to be French American, like in, in both sides of, of their citizenship. Um, and that happened each each time we came over also, right? Like we would start putting the kids in French day camp and then eventually we put them in French, you know, sleepaway camp. And then eventually, wait, they're speaking way better French than we are. Mm-hmm. That was a big driving factor, honestly, like besides the mountains was we wanted our kids to live here and, and, and live outside of the United States. And it's it's similar in so many ways, of course, but it's also very yeah. different from living in the United States. Um and we really did want them to be kind of like global citizens, right? Like international citizens, just to get that perspective in life. I think it's really important. Oh. Um, and I think the third aspect is leaving the city for the mountains. I think that was a big thing too. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, yeah. you guys came from Berkeley. Um, obviously, you know, Berkeley doesn't suck. It's a pretty cool place to be, right? Berkeley does um, not but suck. God bless Berkeley. As someone, I mean, and, and I can empathize with that because, you know, I grew up overseas my entire young adult, young life, right? From the time yeah. I was born. We've, I, we've talked about this on the trail a lot together, yeah. actually. And I, and I didn't realize that you, that you two were intentional about creating an immersive a French immersion, immersive situation for your children. And I did, had no idea that, you know, basic, not saying that like English has always been their first language, but French was a very close second. Right. And they've been like learning that language and learning that culture from a very early age. Um, I was like, to be honest, was under the assumption that I know you, I know Mo of, of your background and your family background, but I just kind of assume that when you drop the, when you drop the kids into France for the year, it was kind of like their first like real indoctrination with French culture. And no. I think it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Cause I, I imagine, um, 
they probably just took to it like a fish to water. And, and going back to what you said about, you know, creating, you know, world citizens, I feel this like really blessed, um, with some of the gifts that was bestowed on me at a young age of just like being able to travel the world, being able to see different cultures, being able to experience those cultures, um, and not necessarily having like a quintessential cookie cutter, um, um, Americana existence, which I'm not, there's, there's no, there's no, I'm not like downing any of that. I just think, um, you know, it's made me a very well-rounded person. It's it's made me someone who can who can empathize with a lot of different cultures, and I think it's really cool that that you two were conscious in in that decision with with how you were going to raise your 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 two your two lads. So, um, kudos, it, big kudos. And and I think I think it it also got displayed in in where we ended up here in France. Right, we 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 moved to a. Uh, very small village, um, about 45 minutes down Valley from Chamonix, right? And, and Chamonix is kind of the areas where we would visit and is an international hub. And we, we kind of consciously said, we don't necessarily want to go there because we're, we're looking for a little more like authentic French experience, air quotes, which is what we're getting here. <laughs> um, it, pros and cons, like like good and the bad, you know. Um, there's, you know, nobody else that really speaks English around this. Um, minus our landlords upstairs, they do. <laughs> well, well, talk, to the, talk to those differences. I mean, what is the, what are a couple of the, the big differences of living in, you know, living the small, quaint French village life versus, I mean, the, the Berkeley life, right? I mean, you have the world in Berkeley, like, everything is in arm's reach. Right. And, um, I know from my own experience in living in a small village, living in small villages in Germany, like, um, it's very community is really, really important in Europe, especially in, in the, in the smaller hamlets. And I would love for, for you guys to, to kind of talk to that. Yeah. I mean, so where we are, we're in a village that's probably like 1500 people. Um, and there, there's just nothing here. I mean, there's, amazing mountains and trails and there's and an amazing ridiculous bakery, bakery. <laughs> like um, would move here just for the bakery yeah but other than that you know there's there's nothing and i was just back in berkeley last month and like riding my bike from this brewery to this restaurant to this friend's house and like that's not here like that just doesn't there's just not that many um venues for anything here um Chime in, you were going to say well, No, I don't think I was. Just that being said, you know, 15 minutes drive, we drive a lot, sure. honestly. We drive a lot more than we drive in Berkeley. We yeah. drive a little tiny, we have a Citroën, we're driving a little tiny Peugeot right now. I mean, it's like hashtag hella French. But um, about 15 minutes down the hill is 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 a reasonable sized town slash city um, named Clues. And um, unbeknownst to us, it has a very high percentage of um, immigrants from Tunisia, Morocco, North Africa. Um, and so we spend a lot of time down there. Our kids go to school down there. They play football down there. Um, football being soccer. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so that's kind of cool too, right? Like the, like we live in this very kind of isolated, very small traditional French village. And then 15 minutes down the hill, you could literally be walking through there and be like, I don't know where I am. Is this like a place in New York? Is this like East Oakland? Like what's going well, on here? You know? So besides um, the cobblestone streets and the architecture circa, yeah, cir no, circa exactly. six, the 16, 1700s, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been interesting. And, and we, you know, we go to, we can go to Chamonix and we take trips up there and sometimes we think, Oh, what would it be like if we lived up here? But, um, I don't know. I, one of our, again, one of our main intentions, we wanted our kids to be in schools where they only spoke French. And if they go to school in Sham or Les Uches or wherever, like there are going to be a lot of other kids that speak English. And, and we we're really trying to be conscious about that. I think one of the challenges that's come with it is, you know, we are learning the whole French system for the first time, you know, and in this area, there haven't been a lot of people, there haven't been a lot of foreigners that are coming in and doing this. So we're, we're lost a lot, like, especially like getting the kids enrolled in school, signing them up for the school buses and lunches and aftercare. And getting driver's license, dude. Right now, I just failed my driver's license test in France. Uh. We have to have them. A- in the next three weeks, I'm flying to a different city to try get, try to take a different test. Like the the paperwork and the loopholes that we've had to jump through, like over and over and over again, are enormous. Mind, mind <laughs> you guys bottom. didn't go with the international driver's license that you got. You didn't get your international driver's license in the United States. No, no, so so we, so we do, but because we live in California, we can't exchange our driver's licenses. They they're only valid for a year. Uh, it's state by yeah, state. Okay. So we have to. So we've been in auto school. We so first of all, we had to we had to study and pass the written French driver's test, which is ridiculous. Uh-huh. <laughs> and somehow we passed on the first time, which nobody does. And then we had to sign up for an auto school. So, so us and every other sixteen year old in France. Yeah. So we pay a dude <laughs> seventy euros an hour to drive around in a dual control car, and he teaches us how to drive. Um, in France and we're with a bunch of other teenagers and now we got to pass the test. Um, and I, you know, this, it's a good, it's a good example, right? We've learned a ton. Like we really have, we've learned a ton about driving in France. We've learned a ton of French. We've, but like, it's a little excessive that we also have to like, you know, push through this test and figure out how to do this. Um, and, uh, it's great. It's great. I keep on thinking like I'm 43. Right. And I keep on thinking like, had we not done this, I'm very comfortable in Berkeley. Right. I'm never pushed outside of my comfort zone or outside of my boundaries in Berkeley. And every day I'm pushed outside yeah. of my comfort zone, 10, 12, 20 times here. Yeah. Um, and some days it's frustrating and some days <laughs> It's really invigorating. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So, really quickly, do they not? Have, do they have a science? T- did, did they have a science test in the French system for driving? So, in, like, when when I got my license in Germany, um, it was a hundred question, yeah. multiple choice, short answer, and multiple choice, well, multiple yeah. choice, and that was the written test. But they also had fifty signs on a grid, and you had oh, no. no. The signs was okay. part of. We had a forty question, oh. multiple choice, but. Every question was A, B, C, D, and the answer could be yep. any combination yeah. of those, right? So there are 15 different options for each multiple choice question, yeah. actually. No, they, they, yeah. ma- they make it really <laughs> difficult in Europe. And, and is, it, so is it the priority difficult. road system in France as well? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fun. I, That's why she it, failed. She, it, she, she missed her priority. In, in, my, yeah. um, in my humble opinion, much better system for keeping flow of traffic once you learn it. But ultimately, you know, if we use the priority road system in America and we're like, I'm divulging this conversation. So I'm going to get us back on track here just a second. But if we had the priority road system in America, there would be like a lot less stop signs, a lot less stoplights. People would, there'd be really solid flow of traffic. Um, I imagine just based on you, you couldn't make the change. Now people, there would just be like accidents everywhere. Road, road, road rage would just spike through the roof. Like people would just not be able to, to deal. Um, but yeah, anyway, I had to ask because 
when I was 17, like I, it, it took me twice to pass the science test twice to pass the written test. I failed my driving test because I Cali rolled a stop sign. Like I just did like, you know, and I'm a 17 year old kid, but like they don't make it easy on you. And I remember coming here and getting my license when I, when I moved back to America, I had to like get, you know, get a license. I was like, this is it like 17 questions. And I don't have to drive. They're like, yeah, you're good. And I'm like, okay. All right. Sweet. Um, yeah, this is our so current it's obstacle. A, it's a constant tension of of, of that, but uh, well, growth know. is, I, and I, I'm glad you mentioned it, uh, Max. I was going to say it's like it's got to be tough to be in your 40s and be learning new, 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 not new, new, not new things, not like oh, I'm going to get on YouTube or Google and I'm going to kind of study something I'm passionate about. It's like no. I have to learn something new that I already know, but I don't know, and I have to learn it because if I don't, I can't do any of the things that. I have to do because it, when you live in a small village, driving a car is kind of how exactly. it's, it's like the lifeblood of how you get things done. So, um, exactly. yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, let's obviously, man, the kids living the immersive French life life. You guys are, you got kudos. Not only, not only do you guys win the background game, but it's like you're, you're adult, you're, you're winning the adulting game, man. Like Good, well, good up on you guys. So, yeah, well, it looks good from the outside. I'll tell you that much right now. So, um, so yeah, let's, you know, we can round out the conversation in a minute. I know you, you know, we got about 15 minutes before someone has to, has to bounce to go pick up the kids from soccer practice. Um, but I would love to just talk about, you know, part of the, I imagine it's a big part of how you guys can, can make it work is, you know, Matt, you kind of bet on yourself, right. And, and you started a coaching business, you went and got a coaching certificate, um, you know, and, I imagine, I mean, I don't really know how well it's doing for you, but I would love to know, like, how, how are things like, how has it been to kind of go back to school, really double down on, on yourself? I mean, that's, it's a, it's a huge thing to, to bet on yourself. And then ultimately, you know, building a business is uh, building a business, even if it's a, you know, just a, a single person coaching business is definitely not easy. So I would love to, to kind of talk through that. No, that's a good, that's an interesting way to put it, Troy. Um, it's been great. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, I got injured last year. I had some tendonitis issues. Um, and, uh, I, so I had some extra time. I wasn't running as much and I, and I was always intrigued uh, by coaching. I, I'm a teacher at heart. I feel like I, I, I like teaching. I like, honestly, I like explaining things to people. Um, and I, and I like trying to find new ways to explain things to people if they didn't understand it the first time. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I wanted to jump into this coaching and I also felt like I had a lot of experience and in, in running experience and it's just been kind of ramping up, honestly, um, the, the, the whole time, which has been, which has been really fun. And, um, I, I saw, read a quote by another coach one time that said, you know how you get better at coaching, you, you, coach. you coach more yeah. athletes, um, you coach exactly. And, and I really took that to heart, um, and I felt like I had something to offer in that um, there are a lot of Americans, especially that honestly come here for, for these big races or, or go to La Varedo or, or come do these big mm. European trail races. And it's such a different scene over here that the Mount, I just, I just read an article about like the five big things that you really have to look for over here. Right. <clears throat> you know, the trails, the, the travel, the food is different. It's so steep, right. The gear and weather is so different. And, I saw a lot of people go over and do UTMB or CCC for the first time and just get smacked around. And, and it's like, it's not their fault. Like these mountains are huge, you know? Um, 
So I started thinking like, well, I, I, I think I could help people that were coming over here actually prepare for these mountains. And I think there are ways to do that. Not It's not just the mountains. It's also the travel. It's the culture. It's the experience. It's it's the food. So um, I'm really enjoying it. I, I actually... Um, I like we had to make businesses here in France. Right. So I'm a, I'm a life coach um, as far as France is concerned. Um, And I was like laughing when, when, when the person was like, well, we're going to categorize you as a life coach. And then I was like, Oh my God, I am a life coach. Right. (laughs) Like as, as a running coach, uh, of course, you know, it's all centered around the running program, but the majority of what I do is talk to people about life. Right. Um, Whether that's, that's life racing, but often it's life with kids or life with, parents or family or travel and and how do i do that so that's the part i've really liked like i I, i've gotten to know each one of my athletes um on a really personal level through a very cool lens of running right like our conversation is always somehow grounded in running but i'm really just learning about their life um and i did not foresee that coming like I did not think that was part of being a running coach, um, but it's a really cool part of it. Yeah, you're like coach. it's all going to be X's and O's and threshold workouts yeah. and weekly miles yeah. and and it's really more about helping someone find the balance between what their training kind of should look like for a specific event versus this is all the stuff going on in their life and how do you balance the it's like you're just kind of taking stress stress scores across all those different variables and saying well. Yeah we should probably just back off then because this is crazy, you know, or, you know, let's, let's, let's build up right now because you're, you're in a really good place. And I love, I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, in in all things, you got to find your niche and it seems like you've been able to really carve one out as far as, you know, being able to provide a lot of value to, to your clients. Um, and especially those clients that are trying to come over to Europe and, you know, you, you have a foothold, you know, in France right now, you kind of understand the mountains you you've run, some of the biggest races and, 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 uh, and been a part of some of the biggest events that are out there. So, you know, it's, I'm sure it's a wealth of knowledge for those individuals when they're looking for that specific type of guidance. And I think that's something that a lot of people kind of gloss over is, um, uh, you know, being someone for being providing a service for everyone is providing a service for no one. And I think it's, it's, it's nice that you've been able to, you know, to carve out a niche and, and really find a place, uh, you know, for your coaching and your coaching style. That's, that's awesome. And I imagine my parents are both educators. So I imagine being a teacher, um, definitely helps, you know, you've already kind of put in a lot of, uh, a lot of the repetition as far as, um, you know, how you, how you engage with, with an individual and how you motivate someone to, to get the work done. So. Well, exactly. and I'll chime in too, that you're like such a science geek too, that like Matt will just read, you know, studies and reports and maps and all of it, like for fun, like it is pure fun for you. It's and- true. I, I've got a, I've got an athlete doing States this year and, and we're, we're, you know, we're looking at her pacing, right. And we're looking at snow year versus, and so I've been just like pouring through pace charts and, and, and she said, you know, like, oh, I, I can't believe you're doing all this. And I said, I'm doing this for you, and I really like these numbers yeah. too a lot. So, yeah. like you know, it's the, it all goes hand in hand. You're right? scratching your. You're, there's a little bit of a scratching your own niche situation going on there, and, <laughs> exactly. and it kind of like it's almost like you know going back to 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 PTL. Like it, it, this new aspect of your life is kind of an uh, uh, an an. Al- 
combination of a lot of different things, right? And you're kind of putting it together. It's like a love and a passion for running with a love and a passion for science and a, a kind of being a map and a data geek. And then also just like bringing it all together as, you know, being a teacher for as long as you've been a teacher, it's like you kind of get a chance to now like take kind of handpick these skill sets that you've acquired over, you know, several genera- uh, s- several decades. And now, you know, you're kind of adapting that into uh, a new vocation. And it's something that I really love too. It's like, you're taking your passion and you're figuring out how to make it work and how, and figuring out how to create a lifestyle around it. I think that's, I mean, kudos, yeah. big kudos, man. 100%. I love it. So, yeah. well, man, yes. this has been an amazing conversation, Mo, Matt, um, anything else you want to leave the audience with before we wrap it up? I, I definitely want to be mindful of the fact that, um, you know, you got kiddos sitting at, sit, sitting at soccer practice, foot, football practice. Oh, so. they're having a blast. <laughs> they're having a blast. No, I mean, maybe just the encouragement to, to check out some of these big races over here sometime. They're really, they're really fun. Um, yeah. 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 I think, I, I think I would say, um, the encouragement to, to not only check out the big races, but really like check out the big races for everything they are. Right. That like, you're not just going there to mm. check a box and, and do a loop. Like you're going there to, for a whole experience, right. The culture, the language, the food, and it's not all good, but it, it goes back to that, um, that comfort zone, right? Like you're, you're, you're doing this. We do this thing called ultras to push ourselves out of our comfort yeah. zone. We, um, and so just, you know, be mindful and conscientious about yeah, we, that we, in anything we do. get to do this right that's something i tell myself all the time oh we get to do this that's my biggest mantra when i'm in like the pain cave exactly <laughs> i choose to do this i chose to do this we get to do this it's such a privilege so, yeah. so I'll, I'll i'll link everything up in the show notes but you know before i let you go um you know matt if someone if someone's like traveling over to europe and and, and they're looking for for a little help with 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 coaching or even um, Mo, if someone's trying to do tour and they, you know, they need to pick someone's brain as someone who's got a wealth of experience on the course now, um, you know, where can people find you? What's a, what's, what's a good places if, if you guys are, I know you, you know, Matt, you're a little more active on social media, but, but if someone wanted to, to reach out directly to you guys, how would they do that? Both of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, my coaching is at flowstaterunning.com. So, uh, website's probably the best for that. I, I, I have an IG account. I'm trying to build it up. I'm not the best at IG. Um, and I'm at Facebook too, Facebook slash flow state running. Um, I also write, we didn't talk about, oh. I, I really love to write. So I have a blog called going down the trail, feeling love, bad. Love, it's a, it's um, listen, so. it's a great read guys. You guys, Matt's writing is awesome. Yeah. I have definitely spent uh, too, I mean, not too much time, but too much time going down the wormhole. And, and he does a, an amazing job of yeah. putting out, um, really stellar content on the, just the, the things, the, whatever is his muse at the moment. And, um, yeah, anyway, I, I love, yeah, it's, it's, I got, and I have race reports up there for most of the stuff around there and they're not your, your typical race reports, but going down the trail, feeling bad. Um, yeah. We both also have personal Facebook accounts. So yeah, yeah, we can, you can find us. I, 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 I tend to be a little lazier on the, the social scene, but <laughs> but I'm there creeping around from time to yeah. time. Well, I like I, I just want to, you know, thank you guys so much. Um, I know we were trying to make sure we could we could get a good time time frame. Obviously, you guys are like six hours ahead of me right now. So it's always fun to balance the scheduling. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for being on the pod. Thank you for 
uh, sharing some of, some, some of the story. Um, it's, it's super unique and I think the audience will find a lot of value in it. And, um, yeah, look forward to, uh, having you, we're, we're going to have to have you guys back on, I think later on in the summer, once yeah. you guys, uh, figure out if you're going to stay in Europe for another year and, and how things go with, with, um, with tour and, uh, and with PLT. So thanks for PTL. I got, can I, can I say one more thing, Troy? I have one more thing that in my head. I think <laughs> the other thing, I, first of all, I've always wanted to be on a podcast. So thank you, Troy, for making this for happen. making his dreams come true. For making right my now. dreams come true. But I, I think the other big thing that I would encourage people to do is that, um, like your kids can do so much. Mm. Like if your parents and you have kids, um, I think a lot of times that really affects kind of the, the, the life trajectory of families, um, especially folks that have been outside, but like, Again, a big reason we did this is because our kids love these mountains and our kids loving love get out to get outside too. So like if you're a parent and you have kids, just like keep doing what you're doing. Take them outside, take them on the trails, take them on runs, take them backpacking. They can do all that and they'll love uh, it. So love that and a great way to end the pod. So uh Matt, Mo, <laughs> thank you so much. And um yeah, looking forward to to continuing to follow on follow follow along on you guys' journey out there in, in the French Alps. So awesome, Troy. We yeah. got bunk beds uh, for you if you ever come. I'm, book, I'm, book, I'm booking my flight right now. <laughs> All right, buddy. Have a good one. Take care. Peace. Thanks for tuning in. What did you think of the show? Follow us on IG at the Midpacker Pod and leave us a comment on our post for this show or drop me a DM. If you appreciate this content, please think about giving us a rating and review on whatever platform you are listening on. It really does help out. And if you are interested in supporting any of our sponsors, you can find links and codes in the show notes. See you next time, friends, on the Midpacker Podcast. Podcast.